0: Welcome to the American College of Mohs Surgery podcast series, Conversations in Mohs Surgery, where Dr. Thomas Knaxtat, academic dermatologist and Mohs surgeon in Cleveland, takes a closer look at articles published in the dermatology literature by speaking with the authors and researchers involved. The podcast is an extension of the college's online bibliography, a searchable, high-yield article reference library aligned with the micrograph Surgery and Dermatologic Oncology Fellowship Curriculum, accessible to ACMS members at www.mohscollege.org slash bibliography. Listeners can suggest articles for inclusion in the bibliography or guests for this podcast by sending an email to info at That's info at mohscollege.org. Thank you for listening. Hello, this is Dr. Thomas Knaxted once again for Conversations in Mohs Surgery. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Trish Moore from Moore & Associates, a Massachusetts-based consulting practice. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, Trish.
1: Thank you for inviting me, Thomas. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Now, there's
0: a core group of ACMS members that has had the privilege of working with you in the past six months, and there's a a group of AAD members who's had the same privilege, but before we start talking about the sort of details of our podcast today, uh, why don't you start by just sharing how you got involved with the Moes College and and really what your role has has been? Because I think for many people this will be sort of a, a blank slate.
1: Well, thank you. Um, yes, I um, I became involved. Um, I've been. I, I guess I should say I have uh, consulted with and to the American Academy of Dermatology for going on 10 years now in their leadership institute. Um, I have uh, worked with the Leadership Development Steering Committee, and uh, I have also done uh, training for some of the leaders involved um, in the leadership programs that the academy offers. So I come at it from both the, you know, consulting, how, how does leadership get developed, Uh, In people, what do you need to learn? What do you need to practice? And um, from the actual deliverance of uh, certain types of training, mostly in the emotional intelligence, uh, self-awareness, communication aspects. So um, Mary Maloney, who's on the committee, uh, asked if I would prepare a proposal uh, to your committee for consideration when you were looking for a a consultant. So that's really how I became involved. I don't know if it was the best proposal or the cheapest price, but I got it. I got the. I got the job, and I'm very excited about it.
0: That that, that is wonderful, and it's been an exciting journey. And so, to fill in our listeners, basically the context here is that now, if you access the Mo's website, and you will have received emails about it, um, the ACMS has developed a Mo's Surgeons Leading the Future initiative which is going to be a year-long leadership development program open to members of the ACMS our first year will have a application deadline of October 1st uh, again all of the information is available on the website and the leadership program will will sort of walk through some of the common challenges of leadership understanding yourself as a leadership recognizing the role of diversity in the ACMS and within leadership and uh, sort of the common challenges that dermatologists and most surgeons in particular face with a series of projects that are done. So myself, Trish Moore, under the lead of, of Dr. Nat Jelinek, have worked hard with a number of committee members to uh, make this happen. And so sort of the offspring of that for this podcast is that I think we can talk about leadership in a more general way outside of those uh, who are going to be the first group um, doing this leadership development course. And so um, I guess that may have been a sort of lengthy explanation of the ACMS Foundation. Trish, do you have something to add to make it more concise?
1: No, I I, I think you did a good job. I think that what is most exciting to me is that, the Foundation Committee has decided to take this very state-of-the-art approach to developing leaders, which has these three parts. Each individual will be paired one-on-one with a mentor to focus on his or her leadership, what, what are the things that they would like to really develop, and have somebody kind of be on the other end, listening, mentoring them. You mentioned projects. The, each participant... As part of a team, will take on a project that's important to the ACMS membership as a whole, and you know, understanding that all of you, as as members of the college, are volunteers. So when you volunteer to work on a project, you know, sometimes a a project can take a year or more to get to bring to fruition. This will be intense, fast-paced projects that will have a beginning. in uh, next April and an end when it's presented to the board the following April. So that's a, you know, it's a, it's a very exciting aspect and I think unique in dermatology. And then the third part is the highly interactive classroom didactic types of training to pick up those kinds of leadership ideas, programs, self-development that, Uh, are pretty standard in this practice.
0: And so, you you know, it's always intrigued me. If if we look at residency and medical education, routinely our trainees, in some ways, including myself, recognize that we graduate from our programs with relatively little exposure to leadership problem-solving etc. And what we find five years out from practice or more, the challenges day-to-day are infrequently the resection of a basal cell cancer or the reconstruction of a large wound, and much more the management of people and the management of self. And I, I guess what's interesting to me is that if you look at Hospitals and healthcare in the United States, there are still a number of practitioners, especially dermatologists, who are in solo private practice. But for many areas of medicine, and for many of us, myself in academic medicine included, that's not the case. So the, the question I have for you is what is the role of the physician in leadership, and what is or how do we define a physician leader?
1: This is such a great question and uh, something I've thought about an awful lot. I was a, uh, in my own career um, a senior executive, both in government, in the private sector, and then before I became a consultant at an academic medical center here in Boston. And the leaders, there was a medical director or a chief medical officer, but the leaders were all lay people with one exception, and that was the chief nurse. So it was always kind of a surprise to me that the physicians weren't taking from my world. So I was the VP of human resources and that was primarily related to the employees. But that uh, was surprising to me that there weren't more physicians at the leadership table, let's put it that way. And And I really didn't quite understand it or understand why. That was, I would say, in the late 90s, where it seemed to me that physicians were being treated as revenue producers and as um, what what the business world calls individual contributors. So not leaders in the sense of leading people or uh, in a technical sense, an organizational unit sense not having a ton of responsibility for budget, um, for systems, how things really work. So I think the role of the physician leader has really changed and evolved when you think about the academic medical center. But Thomas, I'd also like to step back just a little bit and talk about individual leadership when you're not really in a um, an organizational setting. And I do want to call out um, physicians Uh, during this particular time in these last six months. I know we talk a lot about healthcare heroes that run the gamut from physicians, uh, nurses, medical assistants, aides, housekeeping people, when you think about the healthcare world, um, the whole gamut. But there have been so many uh, wonderful examples of physician leadership that Didn't really involve making a system move, and I. So I think that you can't just define uh, a physician leader. And so let me give you an example. Um, We have a a a colleague in in the state of Texas in a dermatology department was telling me about an individual in her mid seventies. So when the crisis, uh, the COVID crisis came and. Uh, they shut down for the department shut down for a while. Then they began to gradually o- reopen some of the younger faculty and certainly the residents were pretty concerned about, as as so many of us were, about COVID, about treating patients, about um, taking care of people during this crisis. And this position, 70 something position, said, well, uh, I was in New York City at the height of the AIDS-HIV crisis when we really didn't know what we were dealing with, and I was taking care of patients. So bring it on, COVID. Um, and you think of that sort of quiet. She's not in a leadership role in her department, but she led by example. Um, she, she coached, in a way, uh, the younger faculty. She modeled her own courage and commitment to patients. That's, you know, that is a real on the ground example of leadership, Thomas, I think. Mm
0: -hmm. You just brought up the word coaching and um, I had a great podcast with Mary Maloney on mentorship a a few episodes ago that I encourage all of our listeners to listen to because she really has a lot of experience in that. Do you see a difference between coaching and mentorship?
1: Uh, there is a difference. Um, I will say as a coach, and I have uh, I've coached many physicians, uh, I move in and out of what the traditional definitions are. So in uh, mentoring, and Mary and I have talked about this, and we in fact wrote an article uh, about it that was uh, published in the Women's Derm International Journal. But mentoring is uh, usually A senior person within your own profession who helps guide you through his or her own experience through various aspects or times of your career. A coach is usually someone from the outside, not necessarily in your uh, profession, although there is um, an increasing number of physician coaches um, whose job it is to ask some really tough questions to ask you to commit to your goals, um, and to help you stay accountable to your goals. So it's a little bit different of a relationship. The mentoring is a little bit more telling. The coaching is a little bit more asking, but both both designed to move you forward um, towards accomplishing the goals that you've set for yourself.
0: At the beginning of the podcast, um, you mentioned uh, communication and emotional intelligence, and uh, I'm sure those are just a few of the leadership characteristics that we'll talk about in the upcoming minutes. But in general, where do you see the greatest need for leadership amongst physicians? And maybe you already answered this to some degree by comparing the the sort of C-suite of a hospital to the on the ground. Uh, efforts that you've heard about in in Texas but where do you see the greatest need and maybe even as it relates to the the most college in dermatology
1: I think there are two areas um, one is the need to for physicians to see themselves as leaders of teams um, I think that uh, So much in uh, medicine, including I would say private practice, and certainly so much in business, is related to getting to to communicating your vision, getting people on board with it, and really enabling other people to carry things out. It's it's a different mindset than even when you know I took my own very first leadership programs and was in a leadership role. It is how do I get work done through others and, and those people who don't report to me? So really that's that traditional mindset that many of us grew up with that I can't direct somebody who uh, doesn't report to me. That's I believe that that's gone. And certainly you look at hospitals and you know, re- physicians report up to one group, nurses to another. MAs, medical assistants to sometimes to a third, office staff, sometimes to a fourth. And yet all of these people are in your clinic and they're all working together for the benefit of the patient. And I believe that they look to you, the physician, for leadership. And it's hard. It's hard because you want to come in and see the patients. You don't want to have to deal with, uh, you know, various scheduling issues or interpersonal. Communication issues. So that's one aspect. The second aspect that I think would be most helpful um, in, in which we're we're also focused on uh, for this most for the most college program is how do physicians navigate the really complex system wide healthcare issues? So by system wide, I mean across. Institutions, for example, you know, so many medical thinking about so many academic medical centers who have acquired other hospitals, and how all of those folks, in some way, um, are uh, are driven to do work to care for patients. How do you engage them? How do you understand how the system works? Um, and even taking a step up from that, in the system side, is you, what do you know about healthcare, care and are physicians really leading at, uh, at times when health care overall in our country and in the world is at risk? Where are the physician voices? There are so many uh, fantastic physician voices, and I think more are needed um, to both benefit patients and benefit the individual specialties and subspecialties of medicine. So, it's micro level managing your team, macro level uh, managing, influencing the system overall.
0: I love that distinction, or or breaking it down like that. And I want to ask you a question about the first aspect, if you call it sort of the the small scale management. And you brought up a a situation that I oftentimes find myself. Struggling with, and maybe it's more pronounced in academia. But certainly, I work with a group of, at this point, truly wonderful people, and I'm very grateful to uh, to get to work with them. But um, others may find that they are in a situation where they have nursing staff, medical assistants, a most tech, who, while all working together, as you've already mentioned, really do report up through different structures. And generating buy-in for a team spirit, uh, motivating or encouraging hard work and really 100% dedication, in my mind, becomes a lot more difficult when the relationship is less linear. Now, probably you will tell me that I should definitely apply for this leadership (laughs) development and, and sort of revisit that thinking, but um fundamentally I do think it's a challenging setup in academic medicine and in larger hospital systems or maybe even in larger physician groups.
1: Yes. Yes and um uh, it is it's extremely challenging. And I th- and I will um also mention that this is happening in the business world as well and has been happening for some time, as it has been in academic medical centers as well. So I think once we shift our mindset from how do you control people, that old like managerial command and control um, that people might have learned in business school or other school, into how do you engage people? That is a skill that really there are no boundaries. There are There are, um, there are endless opportunities to motivate and engage people. And I do think that physicians, and hopefully this is something we'll be working on with our, in our, um, most college, most surgeons leading the future program. Um, I think there are some tools and techniques that people can use to do that. And they take some time and thought. So, and, but I think most importantly, they take a mindset. So, Thomas, I might ask you back, if, is you, are there any tools or techniques that you have used with this multidisciplinary, multi-reporting line team that you think work really well for you?
0: Yeah, I, um, <laughs> this is, is fun, and we are uh, truly recording here, and I had encourage, <laughs> encouraged Trish to ask me questions. <laughs> But I'm also, at the same time, totally not prepared to answer them. But um, in response to your question, uh, Trish, um, I, I think there's there's two things that, that I do. And one I do want to talk with you more about. And that is that when I joined my current practice, I had the opportunity to sit down with my team. And we worked together to come up with a unified vision. And mission statement for the um, surgical division of our department of dermatology, and I think having a group of individuals, even if they're under different managerial structures, collaborate and contribute to a unified team document or or team ethos can be very helpful. The second thing I've had to recognize is that, unlike maybe in some smaller practices again, where there's that very direct relationship, I can accomplish a lot with positive reinforcement. And in larger organizations like my own, um, that reinforcement really doesn't come in the sense of me controlling a paycheck or uh, controlling a, a bonus of sorts, but comes in the shape of, of small rewards, be it simple, positive verbal feedback, be it... Um, pizza parties, taking the team out for lunch and things like that. And um, that continues to be one of the main pieces of advice that I give all of our graduating residents, which is that while I, I'm always hesitant to to go down the friendship road with any of the people I work with, I do think it's very important to have a bond that exists beyond just caring for the patient and uh, sharing a meal every so often can be a very helpful way to, to strengthen that relationship.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, from that relationship grows trust. And um, you you need trust in the workplace, uh, particularly in fast-paced medical practices, because things go wrong. And people make mistakes or something happens with the schedule. And trusting that your coworker Regardless of their particular title or license, is doing the best that they possibly can, um, and didn't intend to make a mistake or intend to ruin your day, goes a long way to building that kind of trust and um, makes things in the day smoother. So I think there are a variety of techniques, including the ones that you have mentioned, Thomas, that um, that will help build those kinds of bonds, and I also think that. Um, in a way, it's it's a gift that people don't report to you because you don't have to do their performance reviews. You don't have to you know, write up the discipline reports. But what you do get to do is create an environment where each of you are doing the best you can for not only for the patients, but for each other to have a good day. Um, I had one dermatologist that I was coaching years ago who said to me, my goal regarding my nurse is to make sure she's having a good day because that makes my day. That makes the patient's day. It makes it fun to come to work and satisfying to leave. And I loved how she said that.
0: Yeah. And it's very real. If we consider the amount of time we we spend at work relative to our uh, home life and spouses for many of us with the short, maybe hiatus for for COVID, um, we spend a tremendous amount of, of time at work and with the people at work. In addition to the trust and communication that you've mentioned, there, there seems to be a, a sort of glue that's becoming a hot topic, which is um, emotional intelligence and the emotional intelligence quotient. So, for the Listeners who aren't in tune with that, do you want to just give a brief overview of what we mean by that?
1: Sure. This was both a phrase and a theory um, coined by someone named Daniel Goleman, who's written uh, multiple books, but the first one was called Emotional Intelligence. And emotional intelligence is really simply a level of self-awareness about ourselves the ability to regulate our emotions when things hit us wrong, hit our hot buttons, for example, and also to recognize and appreciate the emotions in others, what's driving other people's behaviors, and to react appropriately. That's really, in a nutshell, what emotional intelligence is. Knowledge of self and the ability to self-regulate knowledge of others and the ability to communicate with them in the place where they're at.
0: Perhaps being a prototypical doctor, I'm going to assume that I probably have a very high level of emotional intelligence, Trish. But how does one actually assess this? Is is it feedback conversations? Is it asking my staff? Is it perhaps our leadership development course, or, or how do I assess my needs for development in emotional intelligence?
1: There are um, multiple assessments, and um, you and I will be talking later. We'll be talking next week uh, in another group, so I use a suite of assessments Uh, developed by an outfit called TTI, and it's um, DISC, which measures behaviors, how we prefer to behave and how we behave at work, and what motivates us, what drives us. So what I like about these particular assessments is that they give us both feedback about ourselves and our preferences and how to talk to somebody else who's different, how to talk to someone with a much different behavior. So that's one way these assessments. You mentioned feedback. Um, when I do one-on-one coaching with uh, individuals, um, including physicians, I often ask um, if it's okay to do what's called a 360 evaluation. And 360 is just what it means: is of all of the people. So pick a few people that surround you in your leadership role. So colleagues. Team members, um, in the case of a physician, a, a nurse, or MA, or other staff person, uh, people that you might report to, say your medical director uh, or another colleague. Um, so all people all around who have experienced you. And what I normally do is is interviews based on a set of questions that I work through with the leader, and I interview people one on one and gather up themes that people may need to know about their behavior and some ideas for changing it. It's an incredibly powerful tool. Um, Most people do it incredibly responsibly, and it provides a lot of data about how you are really responding in the workplace, how you're communicating, uh, how you're leading, what people think of you, and some ideas for maybe making some modifications.
0: Are there generalizations that you can make in terms of common themes that you see for for shortcomings that we may have?
1: We meaning humans or physicians yeah, we or... meaning humans. Um, I think
0: we meaning physicians gets too stereotypical into who is a average physician, yeah. but in, yep. in general, there has to be some some themes in how we struggle with. Uh, emotional intelligence and communication.
1: Yes. And I think in this uh, time of COVID over the last six months, we have seen um, lots of wonderful acts, but we've also seen uh, lots of um, self-protective Maybe the most diplomatic statement to make. Um, what about me? behaviors um entitlement behaviors when things go wrong um uh crazy drivers for example people who feel so so their emotions the, the related part to emotional intelligence as i've been reading and talking to colleagues is that this is such an intense period of time with people at such limited activities that we are not able to control um, some of our outbursts the way uh, we would normally do. Things that didn't bother us last fall are bothering us extremely now. Um, uh, rules that we would have automatically paid attention to last fall, uh, we're not paying attention to. Sort of this, indiv- I would call it the individualization um, of need. And again, I'm not, I'm not a physician. So this is not a technical term, but, but people are needy right now. So you see this me first attitude coming out an awful lot. If I was more aware of that about myself, I might be able to deal with others a little bit differently. And certainly it's coming out in the workplace. So if I'm, if I am not. Feeling too great myself. If my hot buttons have been pushed, I don't think that the folks who work with me and around me and for me are going to have a very good day either.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's an excellent point. Now we've sort of hit on on three of the the key leadership characteristics, if you will. Uh, we've talked about trust. We've talked about communication. Uh, we've talked about in, emotional intelligence. And then I guess also about the need for coaching and mentorship. Is there something else that you would add to the equation of, just in in terms of bullet points, what makes a good leader of um, self of others uh, on whatever scale and magnitude?
1: I think that yes, and it's it's the maybe hardest to define. And I do think that there is an internal moral compass that distinguishes good leaders. Um, there is a drive to do better for oneself and others. Um, there is, there's a level of, um, I would say, um, belief in one's own ability to make something happen um, for hopefully for the good um, that's hopefully there are leaders that want to make bad things happen but we don't have to talk about them um, so I do think it is it is sort of an internal driver um, so as an example I mean when I think about my own leadership journey and um, I will ask, I will, I will ask the participants in the Mohs, hopefully this won't turn people off, but this will certainly be one of the things that we talk about this particular issue in the Mohs college uh, leaders program is um, what's your, what is your own journey look like? And um, I am the oldest of eight children. My parents um, were very involved um, volunteers in their community, both based on their faith and based on a sense of justice. So I would say that all of my siblings, regardless of any work roles that they may have had, whether they were leaders or individual contributors, have a drive to improve something in the world as a result of that experience. So that sort of moral drive to improve is something that's extremely important to me as a leader, as a leadership coach and consultant.
0: If we dig a little deeper there, um, a lot of terms get thrown around, including a a personal uh, mission, uh, core values. A vision. What is the importance of things like defining one's own core values formally uh, on paper, uh, like Mary Maloney made me do? Uh, your your mission, <laughs> your vision. Um, can Can you talk a little bit about those types of um, headings?
1: I think that they allow you to to become the leader that you want to be they allow you to by by the discipline if you will of sitting down with yourself or a coach or a mentor a uh, family member and say here's what is important to me and here are my opportunities to show these in a day a week a month a year i think there's nothing like it there's nothing that is any more powerful than knowing what you're about and what you want to do without a lot of judgment. I mean, if you want to have the best Mo's private practice on the East Coast, that's a leadership vision. That's, that's a drive to improve uh, the practice of Mo's surgery, let's say. If you want to be the best educator of future physicians or dermatologists, then that that's really worth. It's, it's motivating. And it also helps you through the times that are kind of demotivating. I mean, I I know I've worked with enough physicians who've worked with residents and I've worked with a few residents, you know, these educating people is, is, has its ups and downs. But if you're really know That this is what you want. And what's important to you is educating the future. You're going to weather some of the rough times. And I think for physician leaders, particularly when we talk about the management of people, the management of systems, the complexity of the world right now, understanding why, who you are and why you're choosing to do something is really important because These jobs are not easy. These leadership jobs are not easy, even the small ones. They're really difficult. So you want to know what it is that you're about to get you through those days.
0: So then self-reflection becomes a pretty valuable part of leadership and and future success?
1: I believe so. I, I really believe so. And it's part of the questioning, I think, that many humans do, you know, you think about uh, raising children, and what's important as you move through, you have your first crisis with a teenager, and you say to yourself, okay, what is it that I really want? Once you calm down, what is it that I really want for this child, for this teenager? What do we take away? What does he or she take away from this experience? What do I, as a parent, want to be remembered for? So it's, it's, it is both about leadership and about life, I think, is staying grounded even when things uh, become unmoored and ungrounded. Thomas, you're really, um, you're. I'm digging deep here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always
0: find these topics are all incredibly interconnected and you, you can't talk about a moral compass without talking about a personal core set of principles or a core vision uh, in my mind you can't really talk about those without having spent time reflecting on what you want your leadership to look like what you want your life to look like, what you want your professional career to look like so it's very easy to crawl very deep into these topics in in my mind I do want to be mindful of your time here and, and just yes. ask if there's anything else, within their leadership realm or within most surgeons leading the future, our new ACMS initiative uh, that we haven't talked about yet?
1: I think we've covered a lot of territory that, as I said a little bit ago, I hope it doesn't scare away potential applicants that we're going to be really talking about self, talking about teams, talking about systems and um, practicing it all um, as the leaders that I know that that most of you are in your profession. Um, so I think it's uh, – I'm very excited ab- about being part of this program and working with all of you.
0: Well, Trish, I, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Uh, I also want to thank our listeners for their attention, uh, just for the sake of housekeeping. Again, the Mo Surgeons Leading the Future initiative, which is a um, – uh, training program of the uh, Mohs Surgery Foundation will have the application deadline for the first pilot year due October first of 2020. If you have any questions, you can email Emily Thoreau. You can also reach out to myself, Dr. Nat Gelnick, or any of the other members of the committee with questions. Uh, if you visit the ACMS website, you'll also note that the ACMS abstract submission deadline for Next year will be January 11th, and we look forward to having everyone's excellent abstracts submitted there. Please share this podcast with your colleagues and trainees. Let us know how we're doing and who you'd like to have on the podcast by contacting us at info at Thank you, and I hope you join me next time on Conversations in Mose Surgery.